0: Shellfish is the protein of the future because you don't need to use fresh water. So I think everyone should start eating clams, oysters, and mussels to save the planet.
1: This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Do you have any idea how oysters are grown? I didn't. So I wanted to go and talk with an oyster farmer. Francisco Santalises sat down with us and had a conversation about what they do at Skagit Shellfish. It's really cool. And his story is awesome too. Uh, how he got started in this, how his family got involved in raising shellfish that he says are the future of protein. And he'll explain why i'm dylan honkoop this is the real food real people podcast documenting my journeys all over washington state to get to know the real people behind our food sponsored by the dairy farmers of washington and Mana insurance group so how do you grow shellfish clams and and oysters i mean normally i think people think of it just you know food from the sea yeah (laughs) but you are a farmer yes How does it work?
0: So the process uh, is pretty similar to farming in the ground. You know, we start with a seed. Actually, it's a very, very tiny uh, seed that Mm -hmm. is... We receive it from the hatcheries approximately in two millimeter size. Mm. Then we put it in our Flopsy that is kind of a nursery. Mm. And, you know, we take care of the seed like a mother who takes care of the baby, you know. Yeah. We watch them grow. We clean them pretty much every day or every other day. And then we, the good thing is that we don't need to feed them, you know. The ocean help us feeding the baby. Right. And then when this uh, So that's seed, called a Flopsy? The Flopsy is a barge. Okay, it's yeah. In yeah. which we put the seed, mm-hmm. and the seed is uh, sleeping in these uh, silos that is are kind of beams, yeah. and, and the water go through those silos, uh, providing all the nutrients to the seed. And then the seed just grow and grow until they get to half an inch or three quarter inch and then the these babies are ready to go to the ocean to you know to finish the process
1: so how do you do that then you have to take them out of the nursery the uh-huh. flopsy and go plant them
0: pretty much that's what we do uh, you know the we here we're dealing with animals we call them the animals so yeah. oysters you know need to be sorted and graded uh, like every once a week in the flopsy until we you know divide it the big one the small ones or the medium ones, and then the ones that are ready in the size, we put them in bags in mesh, and then we transport them to the bay. And then in the bay, we have these lines, and then, then in these lines, we hang the growing bags and we put the seed uh, in a density that is approximately two hundred to two hundred and fifty uh, oysters per bag. Mm. And How big are the bags? The bigs are like forty inch wide by twenty inch. So okay, so little little that's bit, a
1: lot of oysters for not that large of an
0: area. Oh yeah, it's a, well 200 animals that are half an inch, so the volume is not too much. It's like mm-hmm. a liter, approximately. Yeah. But uh, the oysters are going to start growing in the bay. All of this uh, process happened pretty much in the spring, because oysters uh, have more nutrients during the spring and during the summer when they... Temperature is uh, high, mm-hmm. and there is more microalgae in the water. So the oysters are going to be eating more and, and growing faster. So we plant the seed in, in the spring, and then the oysters grow pretty fast during the spring, summer, and at the beginning of the autumn. And then the oysters kind of get sleepy during the uh, second part of the autumn and the mm. winter. And they start growing again the following year. So the whole process uh, from from seed of 2 millimeters to a commercial size oyster that could be uh, from two, three-quarters to three-plus inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on the variety of the oysters, but can take like one year or two years.
1: So one to two years that it goes into growing it before it's ready to send so, to people's plates. Yeah. Talk about what your oysters are like to finished. I, I've read some reviews online. I've under, I understand they're unique in their flavor.
0: Yeah, that is pretty interesting in about oysters because the flavor of an oyster is pretty related to the bay. You know, the condition of the bay or the condition of the waters are the ones that they, they define the flavor of the oysters. So in our case, our bay is pretty unique. It's a bay that have a very low salinity, because we have a lot of influence of fresh water that is coming from the Cascade Mountains. Mm-hmm. So that uh, have a very positive impact because the temperature of our water is, I will say, a little bit lower than most of the temperatures in the Puget sounds. Yeah. So that allowed us to have a pretty healthy oysters mm-hmm. uh, pretty much in the summer when the temperatures are high and oysters are kind of suffocating mm. uh, when they are out of tide uh, you know the fresh water helps to to keep the temperature under control a little bit yeah. and so i will say that uh, our oysters is uh, oysters that uh, have a medium to low salinity uh, and the flavor is pretty um, pretty fresh i will say mm. have a very strong cucumber ending uh, mm. and i like them a lot i love them pretty much <laughs>
1: It makes sense that uh, they want cool water, just like salmon need cool water, too. And that's hard as the climate changes. It's more and more challenging.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty challenging. I remember when we started the the oyster farming uh, approximately six years ago, um the water had been changing dramatically. I mean, at the beginning, we pretty much didn't have any mortality. Mm. Uh, the oysters were growing pretty healthy and nice during the summer and in the last year i will say in the last two years but the worst part was the last year uh, we experienced tremendous mortalities and pretty much related with the heat waves that we have at the end of june and in july and that is generating a lot of problem but it's not only the high temperatures also is uh, there is a lot of concern in the industry related with the acidification of the ocean mm. and the level of oxygen. So, uh, as you you understand that the oyster important part of the oysters is the shell, and the shell is a combination of different minerals. But the most right. important mineral is calcium. And when the oyster is underwater and the pH of the water start decreasing, the calcium start uh, losing. Uh, minerals and get softer mm. and when the shell uh, gets softer it get more fragile and that can finish uh, producing problems uh, health problem for the oysters and fin uh, results of mortality That makes sense.
1: Yeah, I was wondering, okay, I know that ocean acidification isn't good for a lot of different life in the ocean, but specifically for shellfish, it's like, how does that actually affect them? And and that makes sense. It causes the shells to get too soft.
0: Yeah, and affects in all the stages. You know, affects in the the early stages, I think, is more complicated, but also when the oysters are in, in the adult stages also is complicated. So... Now we're trying to deal with different uh, ways uh, to, to see how can we change a little bit our uh, farming uh, practices to reduce that, um, trying to reduce the densities, trying to uh, change uh, our uh, operations to be more gentle with the oysters, but I think this problem of high temperatures and then uh, lower uh, pH levels that related to acidification and is going to be with us for a while. So we need mm-hmm. to try to uh, find different farming techniques to to keep our oyster health healthy and and to deal with the mortality that we are suffering. The Last few years. How
1: bad has it been? How much of the oysters has it taken out?
0: It's a big percentage. I know some friends that have lost many, uh, like, important percentage, like 60 to 70 percent of their crop. Last year wow. we suffered a big percentage too, around 70 to 80 percent in some areas. That was very, very dramatically because you plant, I don't know, one million seed and then you finish with. This, Thirty or twenty percent that can be devastating. So, um, yeah. So it's a problem. It's a big problem. Uh, I know a lot of farmers that are looking different alternatives. We have a friend that is located here in the Puget Sound that they are uh, experimenting with this kelp farm that mm. uh, helps to reduce the acidification of the ocean and also, you know, increase the level of oxygen. Uh, so this is a pretty interesting program that they are. Working with the University of Washington, and we are trying to see and explore if that is can help us in our bay.
1: Yeah, more but, more kelp. is yeah, there much is there much kelp out there at all right now? Would it be hard to grow more?
0: Not that I know. I think kelp is not difficult to grow. The kelp grow a lot during the summer. You no, know, when you hit spring or summer with the temperature of the water, kelp start growing uh, amazingly good and have very good properties. But it's difficult to get all the permitting to grow yeah. kelp. I know a lot of friends that are willing to start their farms of kelp, but it's difficult to get access to to deeper waters. You know, for growing your kelp, you need to have um, uh, subtidal uh, leases, and that's very difficult to get. Mm.
1: So what does the future hold then? I mean, it, you know, in, in the next few years, are, are you going to have the same problem? Or, you know, like last year, was it so bad just because of that heat wave, which was... You know, hopefully we don't have that again—at least not for a while. I, yeah. I guess there's no way to know, but you've got to be thinking, and what's what could happen, right?
0: Yeah, we kind of our uh, uh, the philosophy of our company is to, you know, uh, plan for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah. So we are being doing uh, different experiment because you know no one knows the secret, you know, recipe for for reducing the mortalities and, uh, you know, face these uh, uh, new issues that are coming with the extreme weather. Uh, So what we are doing is playing with the densities pretty much. And, you know, uh, we have mortalities in one sector, so we're moving to a different sector. We're trying to looking for deeper water. And also uh, we will see this year, unfortunately, this is like try and error so we did a lot of changes and we will see this year if this those changes uh, are going to work or not if not we're going to need to try different changes but the first uh, uh, measure is to increase the volume of seed so if we can if we're expecting like 50 or 60 percent of mortality what we are doing is putting double of the seed
1: yeah it's crazy but that's how else can you stay ahead of it, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of the way to do it. But The, the good thing is that, uh, you know, our family, our, our company is a small family-owned farm, and so our volumes are not huge. Like, we're not a huge uh, farm. Uh, right now, we have 500 lines in South Sky Bay in three different areas, and we we are being dealing with... a. Volume that is comfortable for us. So we have plans yeah. to continue growing, but little by little we are going to be trying.
1: So all of your oysters and clams are grown in Skagit Bay. All of them, yes. And you said there's there's like different varieties of oysters. Yes. Like how many different kind? What what are the what are the options?
0: Oh, well, there is many, but we what we have in our farm right now is Pacific oysters. Uh, also, we have some Kumamoto oysters that are pretty. Um, pretty nice i love them and you know the market is willing to get more and more of those ones yeah and also there I- we have a little bit of Virginicas. we have an experiment with Virginicas. and and also we are having some experiment with olympic oysters that are mm. native from here from Pute Sound. so we're pretty excited about that the, and all of those oysters also require different uh, farming techniques mm. so it's difficult because you need to uh, adjust the conditions uh, of those new varieties to the conditions that you have in Rubay. sometimes some oysters are not able to grow in uh, all the base.
1: What about clams? You, those are the two things you do. Clams too.
0: Yeah, we do clams too. So in the clams uh, operation, we are being farming clams for a while. With uh, our dad started the operation. Approximately in middle middle 80s, mm-hmm. uh, we have been doing social clams for many years. And but with clams, we also have some great challenges. Uh, like, it uh, is very difficult to get seed. Mm-hmm. We in in our farm operation, we need to reseed every six year approximately. That is a cycle of life that we have with our clams. And, and at the beginning, we were buying the seed here from a local hatchery, from the Lumi tribe, and mm. that then it's been a while that it's been able to to get that seed. And also we uh, have been having some issues with predators. Uh, we heard that there is a lot of problems in the, in the Lumi pound with the green crab, mm. and yeah. we haven't seen that yet, but I think we also are going to have that issue pretty fast, because those predators move quickly and they are pretty bad for the clams
1: so green green crab and i've been hearing about this being an invasive species mm-hmm. and it actually goes after the clams and eats them or what? yeah
0: pretty much what they do is they cut and eat the neck but in that process they kill the clam completely and mm-hmm. they yeah they are invasive and they are pretty they are they are fast eaters so mm-hmm. they they can destroy a full bay in pretty little amount of time uh, so it's very challenging and so we are playing with nets to see if that's going to help uh, and, but also we need to make some research to make sure that if to, to understand if we have them or not yeah. and how, how we can deal with that problem if we have. I think we, I think we have it because we are seeing a decrease in our densities but dramatically in the last three years but we, we're still not totally sure because we, we are not crab experts. We never yeah. uh, fit yeah. for crab. We don't have license to do it. So we need to um, understand and learn how to do that part of the process.
1: Reminds me of my dad and his raspberry farm. <laughs> you know, why are these plants producing less? You know, yeah. well, it could be this, but maybe it's that. And you, you think you know, but you don't know for sure until you do a lot of research.
0: Yeah. We also have been doing some experiments with Manila. Um, we and like clams. Manila clams yeah. yeah, we planted some manilas a couple years ago uh, we have some success in, in some areas but in other areas the results were pretty bad and I think the issue of uh, the salinity of our bay uh, may be one of the factors why the manilas are not growing that, that well
1: they want a, a saltier They,
0: they I understand they, they need saltier bays. Mm. And during, during spring and summer, uh, the salinity of our bay increased a lot. You know, can get to 27, 28 parts per, per million. But when you face winter and in, in low tides, uh, the salinity go drops pretty much to zero. Mm. and that's when the manila start having some issues a lot of
1: a lot of that fresh water then coming in from a the schedule. river difference. yes that's mm. right
0: mm. but also now in a couple of years ago last year we opened the north part of the bay and we are we plant some manila clams there and we are waiting to to see the results this year in spring hopefully they will grow and we can you know diversify our uh, clams operation
1: We'll get back to the conversation with Francisco Santalices in just a moment. But first I wanted to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors that make the Real Food Real People podcast a reality. We wouldn't be here having these conversations without their support. Dairy Farmers of Washington um, has been a supporter from the beginning. We appreciate what they do so much, and we really do something very similar to what they're all about at Dairy Farmers of Washington, which is sharing the real stories of the people who produce the dairy products, the milk but not just milk, cheese, ice cream, yogurt, the list could go on and on. All these wonderful dairy products produced sustainably and in a healthy, safe way uh, that stewards the land around them here in Washington State. Wadairy.org is their website. Go check it out uh, and find out so much more about Dairy Farmers of Washington. Also, Mana Insurance Group, a supporter now for two seasons of the podcast. We really appreciate it. They're all about protecting your family's Financial future. That's what insurance is really all about. It's not just, oh, well, you know, do I get this or that covered? It's what what is your financial situation into the future should anything happen? Plan ahead rather than react when things happen. And and that's their focus at Mana Insurance Group. You can check them out online, manainsurancegroup.com. Thanks to both of them for supporting the podcast. If you're interested in supporting the podcast or you know a group that is, uh, certainly shoot me an email, Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org, that's Dylan, D-I-L-L-O-N, at realfoodrealpeople.org. Now we go back to the conversation with Francisco Santelices at Skagit Shellfish. So back to the process. You get the seed, you incubate and grow the seed until it's big enough to go out into the bay in bags, and then they're out there for a year.
0: Yeah, or or two or three, depends on the variety of the oyster.
1: Then how do you harvest them? You just go get those bags and take the clams out of the bags? Well, in the middle. And and I guess oysters too, I'm saying clams, but it's both.
0: Yes. Well, in the middle of, you know, it's not like we just put the seed and then we forget about the oysters. Uh, There is a lot of maintenance, you Mm. know, because uh, we have these uh, bags with a float and the technique is called the flip bags. Pretty much when the tide comes, the float puts the bag up. And then when the tide retrieves, the, the, you know, the water go down and the bags go, go below. So what happens is all of that movement is the one that generate uh, tumbling oysters. That is mm-hmm. a round oyster with a deep cup full of meat. So it's an oyster that is uh, appreciated for the market. Uh, but uh, our bay also have a lot of current. So that means that we need to maintain a lot. And invest a lot of time and effort to keep those lines in place Mm. and to, you know, to clean the bags because there is a lot of uh, barnacles and mussels that are looking for something to attach. And they start growing in everywhere. So we need to once or actually twice per year, we replace all the bags, bring them here to the processing plant, clean Mm. them, you know, let them dry and so there is a lot of movement yeah. and there is a lot of sorting too you know? we put the seed in the, in the bay approximately in densities like at 250 oysters or 200 of oysters per bag and then uh, when we start changing these bags we, we split the, 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 the seed Spread them um, out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. we change it, you know, so we go from 250 to 125, and then we separate them in sizes. So we want, ideally, you want the big oysters to stay with the big oysters, and mm. the medium with the medium, I mean, small with the small. So there's no unfair competition, you know, between mm. the big one and the small. All because right, yeah. pretty much the oysters feeds from microalgae that is, uh, you know, swimming in the, in the water. So... A big oysters can filtrate a lot of water the little oysters are not going to be able to filtrate the same amount of water and they are sharing this uh, common space in the bag so what happens is the big ones are going to be able to eat more and the small ones you know are going to be kind of attaching the in in between them yeah. don't don't getting the same access of food so so there is a lot of labor related with that
1: So, do you have to go out when the tide is out to do that, or do you go out in boats to check those, or how how does that work as you're maintaining it throughout the year?
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, every day, uh, our crew go to our landing, they load all the materials into our boats, and then they ride approximately 45 minutes to one hour, depending on what sector are we working in, and then they just wait like 45 minutes or an hour until the water retrieves completely mm. and then they can work in the maintenance so I see. like in a regular day that is like 9 or 10 hour shift mm. they w- work without water approximately 3 to 4 hours so so the the labor needs to be pretty coordinated yeah. to make sure that we are going to have enough time to take care of all the work that needs to be to be done you know because oyster requires a lot of attention.
1: Well and sometimes it's in the night too then right yeah
0: of course of course the tide change every day right so during spring and summer you you know enjoy working uh, under the sun you know very nice weather and good condition but then in autumn and and, and winter uh, the tides are the low tides are during the night. So you're exposed to the rain, to the wind, to the snow, mm. all the hard conditions, and you, the crew needs to be working under that condition. So it's pretty, pretty hard.
1: How big is the crew?
0: Uh, our crew right now is six workers, and they are amazing guys, you know. They they are pretty hard workers, and they, they have been working from uh, with us from a while, but it's pretty hard, so... We appreciate them very much.
1: Yeah. And then you probably have more employees than that. That's the crew that goes out. And then you have others that do the processing or yeah. th- does the work get shared between
0: No, th- then Then we have another crew here in our processing plant, uh, but that crew is not very big. You know, the most of the labor is done in the bay. Yeah. Here in the processing plant, what we do pretty much is cleaning oysters because oysters arrive with barnacles and mussels, so we need to clean them. So we have a very good product uh, that is able to go to you know nice restaurants, and no one is going to complain that the right. oyster is pretty dirty. So here we clean, we sort, uh, and then we you know pack and do all of that kind of process. Chipping, chipping uh, process is pretty intensive too. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: do they have to stay in water, or how, how does that work? How do you like oysters? How do you ship those?
0: Well, the we harvest by hand in the bay. You know, mm-hmm. we we uh, take the bags out of the lines. We put them into the boats. Then the boats go back to the landing. Then we load them into the truck. Then the truck arrives to the plant. <laughs> Here we unload and we immediately put them in the cooler. Mm-hmm. So the most important part of the process is to make sure that the time in between the harvest and when the oysters get to the cooler is under control. So, you know, during the summer and when we have extremely cold, uh, sorry, warm uh, weather, we need to make sure that the process is going to be very fast. And we are pretty efficient in, on that. I will say that the, the time that it takes from, from harvest to get to the plant uh, is around two hours or something like that. And that's for food
1: safety then yes, I mean they can't just be sitting out forever because then they can start to oh you know go the,
0: bad. yeah the oysters don't have any issue we have the yeah. we need to be worried that because yeah. we want to control the temperature yeah I mean it's very when you're chipping it's very important that the oysters are below 50. So when the oysters get to the plant, you know, we check the temperatures and then we put them in the cooler. We add some ice if the oysters are too warm. And then the ice is pretty efficient. So ice make all the magic of reducing the temperature of the oysters. And then we let them uh, stay in the cooler. Our cooler usually is between 37 to 39 degrees in Fahrenheit. So it's pretty cold. And the oysters... uh, get used to the temperature and then we process them now we we have a wet storage that is a closed system that have ocean water from the bay uh, and that's a recirculation system so what what we do is after we process you know after we sort after we clean we put the oysters in this wet storage and the oysters are pretty nice there you know they are almost in the same condition of the bay uh, but in a controlled temperature so they are below 50.
1: So do you shuck them or do you s- ship them whole within the shell
0: no we don't shuck them we just uh, ship them for raw like they, so we keep mm. oysters alive yep and our oysters have a pretty good life then they can hold like three weeks out of the water without any problem mm. uh, but the process is pretty fast you know we we pack and then uh, you know we ship everything by airport you know by mm. f- we fly everything so our customers receive the oysters the following day or the or the next one and then they put it in the cooler and then they make the distribution to the restaurants
1: so where do they all go all over the country or yeah all over the country beyond well, the country no, no
0: internationally no no international yet but we mm. right now our oysters are going very far there most of our sales are going to california Mm. we are serving los angeles we're serving san diego uh, a little bit also to san francisco but some oysters are going to new york miami denver Mm. so different locations
1: wow how do you sell? Do you have to go to the restaurants or the buyers? Or is there a system where there's just big buyers who will take these and get them to the end user? Or how does that work?
0: Yeah, there is a wholesalers that help mm-hmm. us with that process. And also we, we serve some local restaurants and mm-hmm. we have little customers too. But most of our uh, oysters go to big wholesalers that distribute our oysters.
1: Crazy process from seed all the way to New York, yeah, <laughs> all the way from Skagit Bay here or w- wherever they end up.
0: Yeah, and it's incredible that, the, you know, uh, we can harvest an oyster today and, you know, our customers can be enjoying that oyster tomorrow or, I don't know, or Friday. Uh, so D- doesn't it doesn't get any more day. fresh than that. Yeah, yeah. It's super fresh.
1: Are there environmental concerns with growing fish or shellfish out in in the bay is is that a challenge to make sure you're maintaining the health of the bay while doing this?
0: For us, the the quality of the water uh, is a priority, you know, because our oyster live there. Yeah. So um, there uh, there is concerns related to how you handle, you know, the, all the gra- the the rope and and the bags. Pretty much are plastic, so we need to be very careful that everything that uh, go to the bay uh, then needs to return to the processing plant right. uh, but, but you know in some way uh, shellfish generate habitat so there is a lot of um, benefits of having shellfish in, in different bays right. you know, um, oysters and clams pretty much uh, filtrate the water so if, if, you, if you have them, they are going to consume all the microalgae that, uh, that will help to keep the water clean. So, so shellfish, I, f- this, since my point of view, is the protein of the future because you don't need to use fresh water to produce mm. them. You don't need to feed them. And uh, in, that, in that process of feeding the oyster... They clean and purify the water, so it's a incredible source of protein for for a world that is going to yeah. require a tremendous amount of protein to feed the population in the future. So I think everyone should start eating clams, oysters, and mussels to yeah. save the planet. You know, yeah,
1: yeah. What I guess that you're defining kind of your perspective on sustainability is that how you would describe yeah. your your farm's focus on that.
0: Yeah, pretty much, and and also we are pretty responsible of uh, you know all the management of the you know the motors. Uh, yeah. take care that we don't dump any gas to the river or to the bay, and and we are pretty careful with all that process. But yeah, the sustainability is pretty important for us.
1: Yeah, and then I think you said earlier this bay is different and it's you talk about shellfish filtering and i know that's been a problem in other places in the past if there are pollutants in the water do you face that here in skagit bay or you talk about you know lots of river water i think well that could be a good thing or bad thing for that
0: yeah the i think the water conditions of our bay are pretty unique uh, our bay is located can, kind of in front of Deception Pass. That is pretty good because all the ocean water that is coming from the Strait Juan de Fuca is getting into our bay can in, in the first place. So, and all the movement and the current that we have there allowed us to be, to to, to enjoy with a bay that is pretty healthy. We uh, have never been close for uh, Vibrio or for red tide, so we're pretty lucky, uh, and and our oysters are pretty healthy, uh, so so we're pretty lucky to have that conditions.
1: Yeah, for sure. How did you get into all of this? I mean, you know so much, and the, it, this is just beyond anything. I, I'm just learning about all these things. How did you start?
0: Well. We started many years ago with the clams, Mm -hmm. and then we wanted to do something different. So we start trying with the oysters. Um, I mean, my dad was in this uh, clam farming since the eighties, and we always wondering if if the if the oysters was going to be okay, but we have a lot of people that told us that for the low salinity oysters never will grow in our bay mm. and, and we al- always have that feeling that the oysters cool, uh, could live there because we, we find some. So, mm-hmm. so finally in 2015 we start doing some experiments. Uh, my brother Sebastian was the manager of the company in those days and with my dad they, they start planning several lines few like one line here one line there with only a couple bags for doing like experiment just to see if the oysters will live or not and the results were pretty pretty incredible you know finally we discovered that the oysters were growing pretty well they were growing fast they were uh, you know developing a lot of meat uh, so it's one of the conditions that is pretty incredible our oysters every time you open one of our oysters the cap is totally full so that means that there's a lot of nutrients in that bay. Yeah. So then we started little by little, uh, we start you know, buying the materials, you know, talking with different experts to, to learn different techniques. We study a lot. And because there is many farming techniques to grow oysters, there's a lot of farming techniques, mm. but you need to, here you need to have like a match between what are the conditions on your bay uh, and then what are the technique that you're going to use that is going to be the successful one. And we're still trying, you know, still trying different alternatives. We we built some uh, SIPA lines last year and, and SIPA is a company from Australia that have a technology that is pretty interesting and we are trying that technique too mm. and also we're, we're pr- trying uh, a couple of floating bags so we're trying different alternatives, and we're not sure if those ones are going to work or not. But so far, the flipping uh, system is the one that's been working best from from our way.
1: So, how long have you been you been working for this farm?
0: I. Um, came to to the company in 2016. Mm. You know my brother my brother used to be the manager yeah. and he wanted to go back to Chile. Mm. Because I am from Chile. This okay. is why my weird accent. Yeah. <laughs> so my brother wanted to go back and I was working in the university there and we decided kind of switch. So I came here to the US with my whole family mm. and I'm, uh, I I started learning. But I, I knew a little bit because uh, in my Background, I, I have also experience working in the salmon industry in Chile, and mm. I have some experience in also working in the farm in Chile. Mm. What uh, kind of farming in Chile? Uh, many years ago, I used to um, be the, the financial manager of an investment fund that invested in in farms. So we have a blueberry farm, mm-hmm. and also I was managing a dairy. Mm. So I, I I learned a lot since the other perspective of, of yeah. farming. And then coming here, you know, and I'm a civil engineer. So, mm. you know, there's a lot of techniques that I learned in the university when I was young. Yeah. Yeah. And then you use all of the management techniques to, you know, accommodate and learn fast. So I was... You know, learning about the oysters, the cycle of the oysters, uh, you know, the different farming techniques. I started learning about the flopsies, uh, you know, and pretty much uh, what I love about the shellfish industry and aquaculture in general is that every day you're learning something. Yep. And you need to keep learning and, and researching and talking to different people person to learn something new every day and if you change uh, process, the process a little bit you can have different results so it's a pretty interesting industry.
1: Has your background as a civil engineer and your training and education and that been helpful as you're doing this kind of I mean you think like an engineer so that must help as you put some of these systems together?
0: Yeah yeah totally helps totally helps because when you uh, the background of engineering help you to develop some uh, management skills. Yeah. And you know, also what I like about being a civil engineer is that you're prepared. You're pretty flexible to learn new ways of two things. And then uh, all the mathematics and the numbers yeah. help you to evaluate what are you doing? Yeah. So sometimes I, I learned this when I was working in the, the farm in back in Chile, mm. ten or fifteen years ago, mm. and and you need to measure everything. Like when we are doing a process, we we measure and we you we analyze the results and then we take decisions. You know, by based on numbers yeah. to understand if what we're doing is correct or not. Right. So rather than just guessing. Yeah, <laughs> rather than just guessing. So there is a lot of uh, yeah, there is a lot of management behind. Yeah. So this is why I think our farm is being successful. My my brother' background is uh, economics. Mm. So both of us work uh, very well together. He's still working in the company. You know, he lives in Chile, but he flies here to the U.S. like six months a year, something like that. And then yeah. we work together and then he comes back. But when he's there, also he helps. You know, in the management task, he ran payrolls and, and do all the financial reports and other stuff. Yeah,
1: Take smart people like you and him to do these things. That's the part that scares me about Because people have asked me, well, you grew up on a farm. Are you going to get into farming? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm smart enough to... Because you have to keep track of all of that stuff. You yeah. can't just go out and you know plant corn or plant oysters or whatever and just hope for the best you have to know what you're doing and make sure that it's going to work out
0: yeah but also you know i think is is kind of a um, attitude of life you need you need to because you know when we started there is a lot of things that within you but then when you are willing to learn and you are willing to risk and try different alternatives yeah and, and then you need to be prepared to have a successful result and you know bad results. yeah. so, but everything is is you know changing. and here you know, I remember we start doing all the application for the permitting and all of that, and then yeah. we said, okay, we need to do the mapping. How we do the mapping? And we said, okay, let's go and buy a drone, and we start playing with that drone, and you're making the maps. And at the beginning, we did a lot of mistake. Yeah, I crashed one drone into the way. <laughs> oh no! And then. But uh, but th- then you know everything is is we we are been going you know step by step yeah. uh, and, um, like I said before our company is not very big uh, in, if you look the management position there is not too much it's just my brother myself and mm-hmm. and what we do is we have a we are very committed with. Uh, our team I mean we, we feel that our workers are, are not just workers for from us and they are kind of family. so we try to help them as much as we can and we work together I know I, I you know go with them to the bay I perform the same task they perform so then I can understand and I can know exactly you know how it is to work under those conditions and then when we are planning, Uh, how many people we need to perform these kind of jobs and how many hours we're going to take and you know the tools that we need all of that uh, I kind of know in in first person because I've been performing those jobs before so you know if, if during the spring and summer is not very easy to reach me because many days I will be going into the bay building the lines you know getting dirty getting sand and mud in in the boots yeah. and that's the way to do it you know I've been uh, I've been uh, participating in the construction and all the process of building what every all, all the lines that we have so I know how they work so no, I'm not we, we are not managers that just sit in the office, we like to be there and we like to do the farming from ourselves.
1: What was it like moving from Chile to the U.S.?
0: Uh, from us, it was not difficult, you know, because I'm from the south of Chile. And the south of Chile, in terms of the weather, is pretty similar to Butte Sound. Yeah, you, you They farm have, a lot of raspberries there, yeah. don't they? Blueberries, raspberries. I know my dad everything. visited Chile
1: to see the ra- red raspberry
0: farms there and yeah. to see how they did it and there. Most of those farms are located in the south of Chile. And yeah. I, I'm from the south of Chile, so... Mm. From me, you, for me, you know, the the weather is not an issue. I'm pretty related to the ocean and yeah. to the mountains, and the, you know, the so the Evergreen State is pretty similar to my house. Yeah. So, for me, it was kind of very similar. What city? And
1: what city are you from?
0: I'm from Puerto Varas. Okay. So it's a very beautiful city from the south of Chile, very close to Puerto Montt, that is the capital of the 10th region, and and the aquaculture there is kind of similar. Is it doesn't have the development that it has here. Yeah. But, but they they have salmon, they have oysters, they have mussels, uh, they have different kind of, and the, the fish is kind of similar, you know, because they have the same Pacific cold water that we have here. Right. So it's pretty, pretty similar. And I move with my whole family, so... Yeah, that me, helps.
1: Yeah. Rather than having to go by yourself.
0: At the beginning, I, I must recognize that was kind of hard for the language, you know. Yeah. I, uh, my previous work uh, at the university was head of the international office, so I I had some fluency in English, but, yeah. you know, my accent is strong because I, my first language yeah. is Spanish, so... And yeah. for I think for my kids, well, for my kids and my wife was harder because yeah. they they miss a lot the friends and the family. Um, I have a lot of family here, so yeah. So having my mom and my dad here is a tremendous help.
1: Yeah. What brought them up here?
0: Well, uh, well, it's a very long story. You so <laughs> know, my dad is from Rochester. Um, he's been working uh, in many uh, projects, uh, but he used to have a. Salmon processing plant in Alaska. Mm. Also, has developed other projects. And and for those, you know, accidents of life, he and the family started working in the clams many years ago. And at the beginning, the clams were a very, very small operation, very, very small. And then he married my mother. I don't remember, but many years ago, like twenty years ago, and they moved here with my two little brothers. And then. you know, Sebastian grew up and then he became the manager of the company when he was, you know, just uh, after uh, university. So mm-hmm. so he, he have a lot of experience here. Yeah.
1: So what, what uh, local places around here can uh, I find your oysters or your clams?
0: Well, right now, not too many. Uh, we don't sell uh, locally, pretty much. We are, uh, you know, selling most of our oysters outside of the state. Um every year in summer we we sell some oysters to to in, in St. Good and and also we used to have a couple of restaurants in in Seattle mm. but you know with with the covid and all yeah. of that most of the restaurants had a lot of problems so we, we don't have any, you know, sell point here. Our plan is to to start over again and find local customers. And and also we were planning to have like a distribution point so the customer can buy oysters or the website or, right, or right. you know, Instagram or wherever and then come here and pick it up here. But that is not going to happen probably until a couple months more.
1: Yeah, it takes... Bit of setup to do, yeah, I'm sure. And you are on Instagram, right? it What Skagit, just Skagit shellfish.
0: Yes, we have an Instagram Skagit shellfish. Not very active, I must say. We we have some photos and pictures there. uh We need to give more energy so we can promote more our oysters. Yeah,
1: there's always more things to do, right? Yeah, always more things to do. Yeah, my
0: brother is in charge of that
1: part. Well, thank you for having me here and showing me the place and educating me on how shellfish are grown. There's so many things like i said earlier that i didn't know at all so this is fascinating to me and you have a great story too this is this is really cool what you guys have going here so thanks for having me
0: no thank you for for the visit uh, it's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you and hopefully we can uh, continue learning and yeah. growing the future so we provide incredible oysters to our community too
1: This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food.